This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Caro, is it sexism? No, look, I don't know. I think there are a lot of men, though, who really don't like me. I'm just not the ideal of the woman football reporter that they would like. But all I can do is do my job, talk to people in the business, which I continue to do. Sometimes the truth hurts, and unfortunately this has been a really tough period for Hawthorne, and I'm proud of the way I and Sam McClure and Footy Classified has covered it. So what name do I have left my own? <laughs> so, they can't so, take that away from they you. They can't take that away. So I'm going to be Corey Perkin. It is sport. Andrew Hoy. Oh, yes! Anyway. 63, Carol. He, he has done an unbelievable job, and I loved it at the end when they said, what about... Um, Paris. He said, forget Paris, I'll be at Brisbane in 2032. (laughs) I tell you what, Caro, if you hang around long enough, what goes around comes around. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi everyone, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 183 of our little podcast and I'm Corey Perkin back in the studio today with my dear friend and potty mate, Caro Wilson. Hello, Caro. Hello, Corrie. I feel as though we're on the set of Channel 7's uh, Brekkie Central, Sunrise. Miss Jane has brought in Blossom, and it's like the cherry blossom that um, I'm sure it's not real that Koshi and Co are sitting in front of on their show. It's well, beautiful. The uh, first blossom. And which one of us is Koshi? <laughs> well, I don't think either of us has to be Koshi, but anyway, it looks absolutely lovely, ja- we, lovely Jane. Thank we you. Have, we have a cra- in the air. We have a crackerjack show for you today, uh, where we'll be talking to Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store uh, about interesting areas of wine growing in Victoria, lesser known areas. Caro has a recipe. I have a book. There's so much to discuss, including her most excellent reporting of the Alistair Clarkson. Uh, departure from Hawthorne. I'll be talking about a bit about bookshop and life after the bookshop. But first, ladies, I have to thank our sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. You guys are wonderful. Thank you again for your support. And we have a little gift for you, Jane, Caro, and myself from some other fabulous friends of the podcast. It's Cape Merchants, which is a really gorgeous homeware store down in Sorrento. Can I open it now? You can while while I'm reading this out. Dear Don't Shoot team, we hope you enjoy our Cape Merchants candles and we'd love to see you in our coastal store soon. Happy travels to the Mornington Peninsula from Anna and the Cape team. And this is a gift Anna told me on the phone that she wanted to give us because she knew that you you and I, Carol, have had a particularly tough couple of weeks. Love a quality candle. And a candle just will soothe us. Mm. So she also wanted me to say that if any of our listeners would like to follow Cape Merchants on Instagram and tag Don't Shoot the Messenger, so the tag is uh, at Don't Shoot Pod. I think that's right, Miss Jane, isn't it? Um, so if you write that in your comment once you've joined the Cape Merchant page and family and account, you will go into the draw to win a $50 gift voucher. So there you go. Corey, my candle is cucumber and basil, and it's making me 
strangely hungry for fresh salad. So like, you're, allowed to, you're allowed to eat the That's candle gorgeous. if you want to, Miss Jane. That would be good. But um, I've um, also got a little medallion fabric anchor gold with an um with the it's oh, an that's anchor. Very sweet. With a lovely um made out of a gorgeous piece of um probably Mandalay material or that's beautiful Liberty or something. It's absolutely gorgeous. So Thank so you, Anna. so Anna also said, look, it's not a bottle of, bottle of olive oil. I'm not Mr. Cobram. So. <laughs> So, so there you go, Anna. Thank you so much. We, uh, we, we uh, look. Uh, let's be honest. We all love a, a gift. It's gorgeous. But I do love the fact that you're extending that to our "Don't Shoot the Messenger" family. Uh, so jump on board their their Instagram account, and you could win a fifty dollar voucher. Caro, there's. I love so Anna's much- good local tip too. Sorry to interrupt, Corrie, where he uses old playing cards, like that you play snap and Jim Rummy and poker with as cards. Yeah, Another as, as great greeting cards. You know, you've got those old packs your, of cards yeah, and you count up and there's only gift. 51 or you don't want the joker or something. Anyway, looks lovely. It, yeah, it looks really pretty. Um, so housekeeping and so on. Caro, lots of love in the room and congratulations to you, of course, for uh, maintaining your position on the Alistair Clarkson leaving Hawthorne this year. Um, from Deidre McDonough via email. Hi, Caro. Just had to send this quick email to say how happy I am that your claims have been vindicated massively. I know you are way too professional and not of a petty nature to come out and blow your own trumpet. I'm sorry, Deidre. Do you know her that well? <laughs> come <laughs> but on. Deidre goes I'm not on to say. My own <laughs> Deidre goes on to say those male commentators who had no qualms in bagging you are now squirming on their collective backsides. Well done, you, on sticking to your principles. We'll have more on that, um, Deidre, in a little bit too. I'm going to ask Caro, put her under the microscope and um, dissect her on that one. And Flash Jules via Instagram. I just got home from work and heard the news about Hawthorne Football Club. Caro, you are a legend. I listened to 3OW last week where you were pillared, but you were right. I bloody love you, says Flash Jules. (laughs) And yes, I've had a wine, but I love listening to both of you so much. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And then kiss, kiss, kiss. Flash Jules, I love it when a potty gets on the wine and then decides to send us a message. More of it, I say. Yeah, we we love drinking and dialing too. That's an absolutely brilliant idea, except when I do it. So there was lots more. Craig in Albany um, just wanted to give you a pat on the back, Caroline, for standing by your mail on the Clark Clarko fiasco, you've been attacked from many and you've been proven right. The AFL Boys Club relish trying to discredit you and you prove yourself time and time again. Well done. Thanks very much, Craig. And Andrea McKim via Facebook said, can you please tell me how Corrie watched Stanley Tucci searching for Italy? Andrea, it's on CNN, so that means you have to have paid television, I know, but I think I have the CNN app on my phone and I think it allows me to watch television programs obviously on a very tiny screen but there must be a way that you can access it but yes it it is a CNN production and Caro it was nominated for an Emmy a couple of weeks ago. Stan, wow. I think Stanley's more happy about that than if he'd received an Oscar in the um for one of for one, film. for one of those some um, brilliant films like um, Julie and Juliet or Exa- one of those. Yeah, exactly. Yep. exactly. He's he's a, we we love Stanley. I cannot believe that Susan Cunningham via Facebook has tried to delve us back into the first stone debate again. Please, Don't Susan. The war. It nearly broke up our book club 15, 20 years ago. Twenty four years ago. Twenty four years ago. I remember when Corrie, you had. Um, Annabelle Crabb in the shop, and I interviewed her about her first cookbook, which was it's just a wonderful cookbook. Um, and we got on to Annabelle Crabb because, of course, my mother asked the question. Mum loved the first stone and totally agreed with Helen Garner and felt that what women need sometimes is a sense of humour. Now, this is a, such a, 
are very tangled and um, uh, I was going to say COVID-ridden path. It's not COVID-ridden at all, it's, but it's um, thorny. It's a thorny path with many obstacles. But the fact is that the first stone highlighted the fact that maybe these women could have had a laugh about it and a lot of it would have gone away and everyone would have been a lot happier. I just think that in the end, and I've said this to my mother and it's a really difficult one to thrash out, but some not everybody comes from a position of strength like maybe my mother would and her friends would when they trivialised sexual harassment as men often do, whereas women inflated. Well, this is what Helen Garner says. I still think Helen Garner wrote a really brave, gutsy book and there's two sides to every story. But it doesn't mean that I haven't been completely horrified by what I've seen with Brittany Higgins and some of the stuff we've been watching on that brilliant show, Misrepresented, that just gets better and better. It gets better and better. I wonder whether we should just ask Annabelle, will she come on the podcast? Anytime, really. These, oh, we're definitely getting her these, on. These topics are not going away, but... Um, definitely getting well, her Well, certainly on. she and Lee Sales are bringing out a new book in September, Cara, so maybe we can... Maybe we could do a, a, a quaddy around the table if they come to Melbourne. To, oh, they won't be allowed out. They're both in Sydney. Oh, the poor thing's launching a book where you can't travel. They'll How many make, authors they'll, have they'll been turn struck it, by that? Yeah, they'll make... Um, something into strawberry jam, as um, Graham Richmond used to say, and they will do a brilliant job. But we'll get them when lockdown's over. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Diary date that one. Um, so, so, Corrie, let's go to the first item because you weren't here last week because you were so incredibly busy packing up the bookshop, which is now closed. Um, that chapter, pardon the literary pun, but we'll use a few of those in the next uh, few minutes, has come to an end. And I notice even the show notes for today's show comes with a different logo and a different tag, and you have a new name. I do. Well, it's actually not a new name, but um, and the so, age has been, so the age has been following this story. But the new the, the people who've taken over your lease in Malvern Road, Hawkesburn, are calling the shop our bookshop. That's what we've believed. Yeah, they've registered two names for their new business: our bookshop and my bookshop. So they've taken your name, but unfortunately, they um, my, my bookshop is something. You were my bookshop by Corrie Perkin. Correct. They've done a play on that. So you've made it clear in your newsletter to all of your bookies, as opposed to your potties, that this is not your old business. This is a completely new business. Um, it's obviously been a really difficult uh, situation to navigate, but you've chosen to accept it and start off, start up your own new brand exactly. based on your old one. Yes, exactly. So I think what happens when very you, popular one. Well, thank you. Uh, I think I think what happens, Caro, when you start a business. Uh, well, I was always given a piece of advice: have have your exit strategy in place. Even within months of starting the bookshop, the exit strategy was always going to be there was one or the other. One was either leave it to the two girls in particular, my two girls, who were very interested in books and maybe one of them might one day want to take it over or the other one was to build it up and sell it at some point and then maybe there might be a nice little tiny superannuation reward there of some sort. And, uh, of course, what's happened is the events of the last few months have really made the retail environment difficult so we kind of put out a, a little little word or two that we might be interested if somebody was interested in buying it, but that wasn't picked up, certainly um, certainly from certain people who, who are now involved in the new premise. So uh, the really disappointing thing is, I guess, that you build this up 
and your sense of, I mean, there's so many emotions you, you go through. It's like grieving of any kind, you know, you feel a failure and all of that. But I've come to the end of that journey and I feel really proud of what we've done and really positive. But the, but the and kind of discombobulating thing here is that my plan to go forward with something that was called My Bookshop, we've had to do a complete 180 on that. And I, in a way I feel that the Collins booksellers, franchisee, that organisation that's coming into that existing space where I was, I feel that they're kind of in a way, they're assuming my past in some way by calling it our bookshop and keeping our fittings and fixtures, which they paid for and we're very grateful for that. That's great. I'm a big recycler, so the shop stays looking the same. I feel like my they've, they've grabbed my present because I'm so anxious and so sad and I'm having a really tough time at the moment processing where I am. A, a, not dissimilar to when you left the age and we talked about all those issues of relevance, deprivation. What does your day look like? What does your working week look like? I've got to say I, I've sort of skipped out of that um, very big and very stressful job feeling quite relieved of responsibility and, and proud of what I'd achieved. And I think you should be doing exactly and the I, same I, well, thing. Well, no, I'm certainly there. I'm getting there. But then I also feel that my future in a way has been um, compromised or, or kind of changed a bit because my plan to go forward with my bookshop as an online bookstore is now, you know, I, can, I cannot go into that same space with a similar name and all of that kind of thing. So what name do I have left? My own. <laughs> so, they can't so take that away from they you. They can't take that away. <laughs> so I'm going to be Corrie Perkin. And yesterday we relaunched our, pod, our um, Instagram account, which has uh, – 6,000-odd followers, which is great. So we hope to build that up. And every day, it's called Corrie is Reading. So please, potties, if you haven't yet discovered it, we'd love you to jump on board Um, because it's just going to be a daily review of anything that's book-related. It might be um, a Booker Prize long list. It might be uh, an author who's died or a new book that's come out or something that we've been reading that we think is great. And also we'll be travelling around to Melbourne's indie bookstores, so many fantastic booksellers and so on, and saying to them, what do you recommend? And we'll actually capture them on video. So it won't just be me, Corrie, yawn, going on every day, banging on about what I like. I'll be asking other people as well. Might even ask you, Cara, because you read the odd book. So that's very exciting. And then the business itself will kind of morph into other sorts of things, hosting author events. But the whole tagline of the business is, bringing writers and readers together, which has been my business mantra for 12 years. So events, podcast, we're going to resurrect the book pod, lots of exciting things happening. So going forward with optimism, Caro. Corrie is reading. Corrie is reading. Brilliant. And, um, well, I'm very happy to send you my Amsterdam list because I, I sent a list of everything I read in Amsterdam and things I brought at the American bookstore there, books you'd recommended to me, um, then the books I read in quarantine, recommendations from everywhere, stuff I'd borrowed from Rose. So very I happy would to love do that. that one day. And, and even though you say you have the worst handwriting because you're a left-hander, you've said that, been saying that to me for years, I'd love it if you actually wrote, hand-wrote your list. We could take a photograph of it and then anybody who's interested could see, you know, how you passed that 
anxious and interesting time when you were in Amsterdam. And you'll still be hosting some wonderful events. Yeah, well, that's, of course, uh, I mean, we had to cancel Julia Banks last week. We've had to cancel the Venice Biennale book. Uh, we had the author. Because of COVID. Yeah, because of yep. the, the lockdown restrictions. That was uh, t- uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night this week. So that's all moving to September. And we have lots of events coming up to the end of the year. So really excited about the future, taking a big, deep breath um, and putting, you know, feeling very proud of the community that we've gathered. gathered. But, Carol, I just wanted to use this opportunity again to say, uh, you know, obviously the obvious thanks to amazing staff, incredibly supportive family. But my bookshop for 12 years wouldn't have been what it was without uh, without our lovely customers. All of you and you know who you are because you have all jumped on board with the podcast and so the three of us, Jane, Carol and I all thank you for that. But your your support of the bookshop and your love of what we do and our interactions, I, I, I'm, I already miss. It's day three or day four and I miss you. So I just wanted to say thank you and use this public forum to do that. So, Caro, it All has been... All the best been... for the new chapter. Oh, it's thank be you, a... lovey. It's well, going to be brilliant. You're and... going to be part of it. I'm going to wheel you out to a few do's as well. But um... <laughs> Thanks. Yes, well, you know, you've got to make money for me, Caro. So um, on to your big week. So that was my big week. Your big week, of course, was the Alistair Clarkson story, which you and I discussed a few weeks ago, and we both had the feeling that... Alistair Clarkson wouldn't be at Hawthorne next year. But you worked your contact book and they certainly worked you and you came up with remarkable intel, which, of course, as always happens with you, Carol, you don't go forward unless you have good grounding and a solid foundation. So tell me how that unfolded. What was the turning point when you realised this is really happening? Well, um, Oh well, without well, I mean, giving away sources. Well, but. the story. You mean, you mean how the story broke last Friday yeah, that yeah. Alistair was leaving? Yeah. Look, um, had you heard rumblings that week? No, no. Um, I my feeling was that um, Alistair would definitely leave, but then he gave that incredibly heartfelt, you know, press conference. He gave that heartfelt press conference where he talked about invoked, you know, the memories of you know deceased family members, um, their love of his wife, Karen, how she picked him up and helped him during a really low ebb of his life. And everybody said, well, he's obviously staying. I mean, he must be staying. You know, I remember being on air with Lee Matthews on the Saturday after that and Lee saying, he's staying. And I thought, "Mm, I don't think he is. But look, maybe he is. Did you get a feeling that that was maybe the farewell speech that he needed to say? No, I think he was going through the seven stages of grief, a bit like you've been with the bookshop. I mean, I I think he was – and you weren't – well, your your business hasn't been taken over because you've left and someone else has moved into the shop, but Alistair Clarkson was effectively sacked. And I think when he stood up and made that speech, he believed it. And I think he was grieving, but he was realising, look – I'm not going to go and coach anywhere else next year. Um, you know, I've got a contract. I have to honour it. I'm not going to be paid out. And people are saying now he should have just walked away and walked away from the money. Well, I just think that's insane. I mean, Well, it's insulting too to a coach who's won so many premierships and had such huge success. He could have taken a lot more money elsewhere over the journey, gone to other clubs he didn't. Anyway, um, I, I think what happened was... In the days that followed that, he got together with a group, the leadership group, and they just said, look, it's not going to work. We can't have two coaches. Whatever- do, you, do you think that – sorry to interrupt, but do you think there was a genuine anguish among that group or do you think some of them had already jumped on board with Sam Mitchell and they didn't want to be coached by him anymore? In other words, was it the personal – or was it more the circumstance? I'm not sure if the playing group was divided. I do know most of the older players were pretty shattered by what happened. 
on behalf of Alistair, but I'm sure that Sam Mitchell being the Box Hill coach and, um, and you know, we've seen a couple of Box Hill, one player picked up in the mid-season draft and playing senior footy for Hawthorne, I'm sure Sam Mitchell had his supporters too. But whatever Sam Mitchell says, and I never accused him of saying to Alistair, leave, I don't want you here, I'm pushing you out. He said I'm insulted, people would say, I wanted to push him out. He made it clear at that meeting that we spoke about on Footy Classified a few weeks ago, mediated by Ray McLean of leading teams, that it was going to be really difficult for him to share the roles next year, that he would rather have, and Alistair used these words in his final farewell press conference last Friday. And what a shameful mess that was and he was the reason it was saved really but you know he just sort of said um I I would rather have clean air I would rather have fresh air that they have got different philosophies different strategies they didn't agree on list management obviously Sam I think wants to do a bigger clean out than Alistair does don't say Alistair's done it perfectly in the past because he hasn't he offloaded too many club legends over a period of a year or two in my view but anyway so the players could tell it wasn't going to work. They spoke to Alistair. Alistair then spoke to the football director, who's the former captain, Richie Vandenberg. He, and I keep saying this, but it must be significant that he's one of Sam Mitchell's great mates. So Richie Vandenberg took this to the board. The board met with Alistair or his management on the Wednesday or Thursday of last week. Um, Sam McClure, my colleague from The Age and Footy Classified, had, had wind that something was happening Friday morning. And together, we just worked the phones over the period of an hour and it was clear that it was definitely happening and, you know, it was meant to be announced on, yes, on Monday. We're sitting here talking on Tuesday. It was meant to be announced on Monday of this week, leaked out again from the board. Now, I'm not saying a board member leaked it to the media, but at least one board member has told someone involved in this story that this was going to happen and it's got out on Friday morning, which is... As Jason Dunstall said, that is a sign of a struggling club, and Hawthorne's board never they used never to leak, leak like this. Never but it, it's become about Jeff Kennett now. I think Alistair has come out of it well. Some people say he was being dishonest and he was just working the media to get his well, payout. He got, well, he got a payout, and I think he deserved it. Uh, yeah, and, I don't. And Jeff Kennett could have acted, cleaned all this up, and the board a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but I don't believe he's that conniving. I just, I just believe you would never get up and speak like that about your brother who who lost his life and. You know your brother-in-law and all of that, and, and 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 think I'm doing this so people believe me and telling Hawthorne I'm digging in so they have to pay me out. Hawthorne hoped he would get offered another job. Jeff Kennett hoped that. Jeff Kennett has been duplicitous, I believe, and I think he has taken Alistair aside and told him this succession plan is going to happen. He's told this to Sam Mitchell. Maybe, maybe Sam Mitchell always knew he would end up coaching on his own, or maybe he didn't. I'm not sure about that bit. What I do know is Sam Mitchell did not want to share the reins with Alistair next year, and why should he? Jeff Kennett has wasted everyone's time and created an enormous amount of angst. What is extraordinary is Justin Reeves, the CEO who's been re-signed for five years, who Alistair called a spineless expletive deleted on the way to that initial press conference when they announced the bogus succession plan, as it turns out. He's been completely silent, but he lives near Mick Malthouse and they ran into each other apparently, or they had a coffee over the weekend. And Mick Malthouse has gone on ABC radio on Sunday, I think. I think it was Sunday, might have been Saturday, might have been Sunday. And basically said, look, I've had a coffee with Justin Reeves. You know, I think it's been tough on him. He's confessed to me that it's been really hard on him. He's just had to sit and watch this happen. And it's and Mick's just completely let out, you know, 
revealed. This conversation <laughs> over coffee with the CEO who's been completely silent, who's allowed this to happen. Bottom line, Hawthorne has a soft cap issue, like all clubs under COVID, and they're now losing 450 grand, maybe half and half over the next two years. Maybe it's different unless Alistair gets another job. It's it is terrible management. They should have just agreed to this a while ago and paid him out. Well, I hope Jeff Kennett treats Alistair Clarkson with the dignity and respect that he deserves and doesn't start pulling a few, uh, you know, trying to control the narrative with a different story entirely. Oh, look, Jeff is already doing that. He's already saying I don't that. want him running down Clarko in any shape, way or form that's not... Uh, well, that would be that would be utterly disgraceful. And you know, you just you just go back to Norm Smith and what happened when Melbourne sacked him. That was back in 1965. Don't think Melbourne have won a flag since then. You don't want the curse of Clarko like the curse of Norm Smith. I'm not saying it's the same, but when great legends leave footy clubs. Clubs struggle for a long time. Someone who's been a powerful leader at a footy club, whether you like or dislike or like everything they do, look at Collingwood since Eddie left. Yeah, look at look at the Bombers since Sheedy when, left. Since Sheed's left. Look at, um, well, let's, what's going to happen to Geelong when Brian Cook leaves? Anyway, it's been a fascinating ride. Um, you know, there were a lot of people, there was one particularly brutal week of talk back on 3AW. A lot of people then rang in and said, apologised and said that they were sorry, even in the same show, look, you know, I'm backing you or whatever. And I hate with me that it becomes this lightning rod where suddenly it's all about the, you know, the messenger. People quite literally were shooting the messenger. Well, they weren't literally shooting me, but verbally they some were. Some might have liked you just... Verbally they were. And stuck I'm, a bullet in your ankle or something. I'm sorry. I was just reporting the facts. And I well, still, then, you know, is it sexism? I still stand by all of them. Not Caro, just, is it sexism? Um, no, look, I don't know. I was actually talking to um, Hutchie about this on um, Monday night when we were driving home, and he said, look, I think it's when you've got such a high profile and you're seen as number one, maybe it, it's more about that. I, I don't know. I think there are a lot of men, though, who really don't like me because, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a... Um, I'm just not the ideal of um, the woman football reporter that they would like. But all I can do is do my job, you know, talk to people in the business, which I continue to do. Um, sometimes the truth hurts. And unfortunately, this has been a really tough period for Hawthorne. And I'm proud of the way I and Sam McClure and Footy Classified has covered it. Yeah, well, we're all proud of you too. And the but, age, um, of course, because the age, in the end, you know, we broke the story, oh, which is always a I, nice way well, to finish that, yeah, up. Well, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, that, that is work. blowing my own trumpet, no, but No, no, well, you know, uh, hey, you never blow your own trumpet. Uh, <clears throat> no, no, you don't. Actually, you don't. Caro, uh, what I did want to ask you is when did you go live with the age story? What, what time? Oh, it was Friday morning. I can't remember what time. Right. I can't remember what time. But, um, yeah, there was uh, there was a big response. There was a big response wow. and, um, you know, everyone – the, but we didn't go with it until we were 100% sure it was right. But it took Hawthorne until, oh, gee, it was getting dark by the time they emerged out of the shadows at Waverley and they couldn't do it inside because of COVID. And I don't think Sam Mitchell should have been there. I think Alistair should have been able to do that on his own. But this was this sort of show of unity. Um, it was interesting. Um, they reported on Footy Classified last night that Hawthorne finally have a new media boss, senior media boss, and he's Matt Dixon, who has come from Daniel Andrews' office. So um, um, the point was made by Craig that he probably thought he was walking into a much, you know, 
more relaxed. <laughs> more relaxed. Well, it's never cushy in footy no, clubs. No, and as I said to your husband Brendan last year when he first started in the premier's office, oh, from you know hard hard work, daily journalism, Channel Seven into a cushy job, and he very quickly on the podcast took me to task, which I. I'm very shameful that I actually said it like that. It was a joke, but I think Brendan went, are you kidding? Well, it certainly didn't turn out that way. I'm looking forward to catching up with Matt. I hold no ill will to Hawthorne, the footy club, but I think for Jeff Kennett, it's time to go. And I think there are influential Hawthorne supporters who you don't often hear from. Even Ross Stevenson on 3AW this week has been, for him, savage Well, on Caro, Jeff Kennett and the way he's treated a our, club legend. Our, our friend from the Outer Sanctum podcast, Lucy Race, who, like me, is a Hawthorne supporter, sent me a, a text the other day saying, I can't believe it in the same week, my bookshop and Clarko. <laughs> <laughs> I think Lucy might owe me a glass of wine, actually. I think we might have had a little wager. hope Lucy doesn't mind okay, me revealing don't bet, that. Okay, don't bet on my club like that. That's really mean. Um, Caro, time for a drink. And now, Caro, it's time for the cocktail cabinet. And Miss Jane is bringing down that trolley. We're very happy to see you this morning, Jane. I feel like I've been up for about seven hours and it's only 9am, but what a great time to have a drink, Miles. Miles Thompson from <laughs> Prince Wine Store. Great to have you on board again, Miles. Great to be here. How's your mini break going? Oh, it's good. It's good. We would have we would have liked to have gotten away, but um, <laughs> those places, <laughs> that those before miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm making the most of it. <laughs> well, I'm really excited this week, Miles, because you're taking us on a tour of wine regions around Victoria, lesser known wine regions, which will be of great interest, particularly for those of us who live in Victoria, because there aren't very many states we can visit at the moment. So yeah. a wine tour around our own state sounds like a great idea. Where are we heading off to today? So I, I picked two two places. Um, first, we're going sort of out west towards Henty, um, which is sort of out towards that sort of Great Western, getting onto that almost close to the South Australian border. Um, and I chose Henty because it's got one of my pretty much all-time favourite producers, uh, definitely of white wine, which is Crawford River. Um, and they produce, you know, basically, I, I would almost argue, one of Australia's best Rieslings. Um, which is the Crawford River Riesling, um, and it's just fantastic. They do fantastic whites, fantastic reds. Um, the area is particularly well known for Riesling, though, but, you know, fantastic Shiraz and Cabernet as well, and Chardonnay does really well there too. Um, and people might know Crawford, I'm not sure. Um, I sure do. I, I've, yes, I've been there. In fact, um, we we called in there driving between um, Coonawarra and uh, Port Ferry one year and we stopped there for lunch because the friends we were travelling with are very good friends of the owners of Crawford River. But, oh, you're, right, but you're, right, you're right about the Riesling. It is probably my favourite Riesling of all the Australian Rieslings. It's, it's so good. Look, it's, we, we love it. We, we always have it. They, they hold back um, the vintages of it too so you can get... Um, usually ones that are about eight or nine years old as well, and they're just fantastic. They, they really are one of Australia, if not Australia's best reasoning. I would, I would, I would argue quite happily with anyone about it. Um, I remember at the time the Thompsons who started the Crawford River, mm. um, the, I think their daughter was stepping into the winemaking business. Do we know whether that fairy tale played out? Oh, absolutely. Belinda now does it, it just heads up the winemaking team there. 
Um, so Fiona, Fiona, the other sister, does all the sales. Belinda is the head winemaker. She's got tons of experience. She um, uh, headed up a, um, uh, a, a winery operation in, in Spain as well. And she's super, super talented. And she's done some different things as well, you know, often as people do when they take over. Yeah, she's, she's a real, she's a gun. She's a fantastic winemaker. Oh, that's a really good tip. They don't, just so people know, they don't have a cellar door, or they didn't at least when we went visiting. It was a private visit. They don't have a cellar door option. But, of course, we can um, purchase Crawford River wine from the most wonderful Prince Wine Store. Absolutely, absolutely. They make a few, so I'll, they've got the young vines in the estate, and I'll, I'll throw them all up on the um, uh, Don't Shoot the Messenger uh, page on the on the Prince Wine Store website. Um, well, it's a so pretty good tip. The best Riesling in Australia, and Australia yes, produced some says, beautiful Riesling. Says highly respected it wine does. commentator Corey Perkin. And well, um, I think Miles Thompson I was listening to as well. <laughs> um, so now we're crossing over, uh, hot-footing it, no, we're within the speed limit, across the Victorian central guts, and we're going to Glen Rowan. Glen Rowan, yeah, absolutely. So this is just Glenrowan's just out sort of it's out towards uh, sort of Beechworth area and probably has a similar sort of similar winemaking uh, aesthetic about it. But the producer I'm going to talk about is Simao and Co, which is Simon Colleen, who is um, one of the sons of the Stanton and Colleen family, who are very famous for fortifies in Australia, and he makes some wonderful, wonderful still wines as well. But I absolutely adore his um, uh, vintage fortified, which is what we have to call it here. We can't call it port because that's illegal. But it's a vintage fortified. It's made just like the wines in port, so fortified with um, brandy spirit. And it uses the more traditional uh, varieties that you see in port as well, so Tintororish, Tintacao, things like this. Um, And it's just awesome. He's just a young winemaker, but he's got tons of experience and Again, another another real sort of gun um, that's uh, making just fantastic wine. But his Fortified is just wonderful. And we have such a great history with Fortifieds in Australia. So I would encourage anyone to, um, if you haven't had a Fortified in a while, to uh, to have a go. Well, well it has, been, it has exactly. been a while. Do you remember, Caro, back in the 80s, the dinner party, the dinner party of the 80s was Beverly Sutherland Smith recipe of some sort, usually a souffle as an entree, main course, pudding, then cheese, and then out would come, uh, apologies, we used to call it port because we were allowed to. Or a sticky. Or a sticky. Or a sticky, yep. <laughs> and, then, and then you'd roll home and wonder why you couldn't sleep because your stomach was rumbling so much. <laughs> so, Miles, we, in our um, old family home, I remember one day opening a cupboard that I didn't open very much in our laundry, and there's about four bottles of port, and I think it really was port, I'm not sure, maybe it was just fortified wine, and in, I ended up chucking them out because we just stopped drinking it. So you're you're yeah. saying that we've got to start drinking it again. There's a place for port in our or fortifieds in our life. Oh, yeah. I'm 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 an adoring fan. Really? <laughs> so yeah, I have been for a long time. Um, and look, we have such a you know rich and strong history with fortifieds here in Australia. You know, that's what we used to do almost exclusively, you know, if you go back, you know, six, 60, 70 sort of years, or the, certainly the infancy of our wine industry here. And we have some fantastic old material, um, and it's something we do really well. And our stickies, those muskets and topakes, they're really unique around the world too, and they're considered benchmark 
um, benchmark sort of wine styles because nobody really produces the wines quite the way we do. But yeah, all those sort of fortifieds here in Australia, they're just really fantastic. Um, and you know, they're perfect replacement for dessert. If you can't eat dessert, if you're too full, you can certainly have a little 60 mils of fortified instead. I tell you what, Cara, if you hang around long enough, what goes around comes around. Well, I'm taking Miles's word <laughs> for it. So we I can't it, believe we're going to be drinking port again. And does it remain strictly a fortified for post dinner, or is, does it have a place as an aperitif or not? Uh, you know, the sweeter styles for, for, for sort of post dinner, definitely. But, you know, those sort of sherry styles, um, and we do make those here in Australia as well. Um, you know, the ones that sort of emulate the, the sort of dry sherry styles from, from, from Spain. Um, they certainly are fantastic as a, as a starter, you know, nice and cold, really fresh, bright, crunchy, that salty kind of thing, that little acid twang. I mean, they're perfect to sort of get your, you know, get your juices flowing. And what sort of prices are we looking at via Prince Wine Store? So the, uh, I think the, the Fortified is about 55 a bottle. Um, but they come in half bottles too, so I'll put both of them up there as well. I think the half bottles are about 30, which is probably often what you need, just a half bottle. You don't need to buy a full bottle. And the Crawford River Riesling, the uh, the estate is about 45, and I think the Young Vines is 33. And I'll put both of them up there as well. And then, of course, you get the 10% off um, when you put in the code MEWS um, and in, uh, when you put it through on your cart on the website. That is uh, that is just such a great offer, and I recommend highly, as I said, the Crawford River. Will you be trying some of the fortified wine, Caro? Uh, look, I'll, I'll give anything a go. You know me. <laughs> you know me. I'll go to Glen Rowan after I've been to Henty, but I'm, I am looking forward. I, I'll definitely go for that Crawford River, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to try so the young good. one because I, I like a young Riesling. I mean, I'll try yeah. both miles, but um, though yeah. they sound fantastic. So, Miles, we, I, I, gather, I, I gather we're going to continue our tour over the next few weeks of lesser-known wineries and wine regions in Victoria. So yeah. I look forward to um, jumping on the bus for the next tour. Have a great rest of the break. Uh, I everybody, will. Thank you. And, and um, we'll talk to you next week. And, everybody, that was the Cocktail Cabinet brought to us by Prince Wine Store. And as Miles said, don't forget when you go shopping on the Don't Shoot the Messenger page on princewinestore.com.au, type in the promo code MESS, M-E-double at the checkout online and you will receive the listener discount and all of that uh, stuff is in our show notes, of course. Thank you, Miles. Thanks, Prince Weinstall. Thank you. And now, Caro, crush of the week and you have the chair because I think you've been grumpy in the last few weeks so you haven't had a chance to be joyful. You have made me grumpy. I'm still grumpy. I, about- I didn't make you grumpy. I just wrote it on the... I'm still grumbling about those workers outside my house and the fact that there's still a massive hole and you cannot get a park. But anyway. You didn't go on about that again, did you, last week? It's still there and they haven't been been there for four weeks. It's got another – people have even walked past and said, I feel your pain. Anyway, Corrie, I wish I could talk to you about a world leader, someone who's working on Moderna or Pfizer – or perfecting oh, AstraZeneca. I can, feel, I can feel a puppy or a Richmond football player coming no, on here, No, no, but it is sport. Andrew Hoy. Oh, 
yes. Uh, what? And, and in fact, I'm looking this, at him. I'm looking ghost, at him on the big screen. And the as ghost I'm speaking. of Darian Powers is up there somewhere, blessing him as he took more booty in the Olympic Games. What was it? His sixth Olympic Games? Eighth. Eighth. I think. I think. Anyway, He's 63. Caro. He is. He has done an unbelievable job, and I loved it at the end when they said, "What about?" Um, Paris. He said, oh, forget Paris, I'll be at Brisbane in 2032. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they won a team bronze and, you know, the our equestrians went into this Olympics under a huge cloud because of that positive drug, cocaine drug test. And, um, you know, luckily the two women were allowed to continue to compete as individuals. But for Andrew Hoy to get up again, I mean, we have been watching him since we were kids, it feels like. Well, not quite, but almost. That was just an unbelievable effort. Oh, look, it, it could well, have Hamish even... on Channel 7 said the other night, I think he was seven or nine when the Sydney Olympics were on. And the co-commentator wasn't even born when Andrew Hoy extraordinary, won Sydney. extraordinary. Look, I just thought it was afterwards. He, you know, he's a bit of a he's, he's a nutty thing, Andrew Hoy. I've met him at the races. Really entertaining to talk to. F- love of love of horses, obviously. Um, that love has transcended, you know, s- you know, sport really. But to watch him and the way he rode that final round, the, it was almost perfect round. They said he could have been a bit quicker. It was just wonderful, and I'm absolutely thrilled that he's one of our many medalists from Tokyo. So, Andrew Hoy, you are my crush. Now, Corrie, I'm going to introduce BSF because you're going to kick us off with a book that looks really interesting. I am. It's called After Story, Caro, and it's by Australian writer Larissa Berent. Larissa Berent. How do I know that name? Oh, she's she has a fing, fingers in lots of pies. She's a highly regarded, respected Indigenous uh, academic, uh, filmmaker. This is her third novel. She obviously, I think, has one of those uh, creative brains that never stops. Her out, her work output is just incredible, and she is a fabulous ambassador and advocate for all sorts of different Indigenous causes. Oh, well, she worked on the um, the Collingwood Report. Did she? The Do Better. That was who they, they – she did the review into the football club and ran the Do Better report. That's how I know her. Well, name. lawyers say that she's a crackerjack lawyer too. So, look, she's um, <clears throat> she's written a really beautiful story. I think this came out about a month ago, Caro. And this novel is uh, a mother-daughter trip to the UK. And uh, it, it comes about as a, as a kind of a gift to Jasmine, who is a young Indigenous lawyer, um, has a very strong – uh, scholarly bent, academic bent, had a had a fabulous time at university. She escaped her small town uh, of Frog Hollow, which I think is in somewhere in New South Wales. I think that's where she's placed this town. But Jasmine um, goes to university, becomes a lawyer, and ha- has been given this gift trip to the UK to do. The literary spots of the UK, it's like one of those two weeks from Dickens in London to Jane Austen to the Brontes up in the Moors, that kind of a thing. And she takes her mother, Della. And Della has never travelled much outside Frog Hollow and she's certainly never been overseas. And so you think the setup of this is going to be a kind of a somewhat of a rollicking, interesting mother-daughter relationship book but as it as it unfolds there are so many deeper issues here and one of them is the the shadow of Brittany who is Jasmine's sister who when they were little girls older sister when they were little girls Brittany was taken from the family home and never to be seen again and Della has lived with this guilt 
and this trauma of what happened that night and the next morning. And Jasmine, as the little girl, has always grown up with this shadow of the missing sister and it has completely damaged their family, but not to the extent that Jasmine and Della don't have a good relationship. It's an uneasy relationship, but there's certainly unconditional love there and there's a very strong sense of care between the two of them. And, of course, on this trip, lots of issues are are confronted, ghosts from the past rear their ugly heads and damaging heads. There's a whole backstory with Della as a little girl, which is just spine-chillingly um, awful and um, sad. But as we uh, as we take our tour with Lionel, the ex-actor, now tour director, who in full flourish takes us around Dickens, London, Jane Austen's Bath, uh, the, the home of Thomas Hardy, Shakespeare, of course, and Anne Hathaway's home in Stratford, uh, and the, the different cast of eccentric characters who are on this tour bus, we actually discover uh, that what the, the, I suppose you could say, Carol, that trip starts as a journey of seeing history and storytelling through mostly white European male lens and it ends up with centuries-old Aboriginal storytelling traditions being recognised and the amazing links and connections they have with the past and just the just the gloriousness, I guess, of Indigenous storytelling and there's there's a there's a among the cast of characters secondary cast of characters there's one who died a few years earlier auntie elaine but in della's family she was the great storyteller and della often finds herself as she's listening to the story of william shakespeare when he wrote this particular play or jane austen when she wrote pride and prejudice so often della is going back to her own childhood with auntie elaine telling the wonderful stories of Dreamtime and so on it's a beautiful book it grows in intensity it's a terrific one for book clubs and it's a really lovely mother-daughter relationship book with uh, confronting our indigenous past um in such a terrific way. So highly recommend that. Uh, After Story by Larissa Berent. And isn't it a beautiful cover? It's so pretty with the flowers and the, the black with the orange and red sort of and white flowers. But I notice on um, the map they provide at the front of Della and Jasmine's literary tour that, um, well, they go to Bath, one of our faves, but they go to Seven Oaks, which is where Anna from the op shop spent some time in a recent trip to England, which is meant to be a lovely little town. Oh, I'm dying to read that. Thanks, yeah, Corrie. Yeah, and they also, um, you know, they do the whole, yeah, the whole Vita Sackville West and Harold Nicholson. It's just, it's it's really beautifully drawn. Do they in. go to Sissinghurst, do yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. So oh, it's really, wonderful. it is, it's really a wonderful book. So that is After Story by Larissa Barrett. Go to a good indie bookstore near you and have a spend up. Caro, you've been screening, not at the movies, of course, but you've been watching London Spy. Well, Corrie, I have, but I'm, I'm no, I'm going to the movies. I've oh. changed my mind. Okay, because, London Spy another time. Well, I couldn't remember whether we'd done London Spy or not or whether I was just talking to you about it. So we might give that a crack next week. But, Corrie, what we all need at the moment, the Olympics will be over soon, a bit of escapism, a bit of a laugh, a bit of frivolous, stupid fun. Go and see Jungle Cruise. It's really entertaining. The no, word, look, The word cruise has just made look, my heart sink. When I read that it was based on a Disney theme park ride, I thought, no. And then I read the review in The Australian on the oh, weekend. Oh, not David again. 
No, 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 it wasn't David. It was the other guy. Stephen Romney. Yep, yep, sorry, other guy, but, you know, David is our man. Um, Emily Blunt is fantastic in it. The, with all the ads, it looks like a bit of an Indiana Jones, but she's the female Indiana Jones, and it does become a bit Indiana Jones towards the end. It's and an action movie. It's a, oh, Jungle Cruise. What are you? Well, well I'm thinking. Love, well, I'm a... thinking Love Boat. You know. No, 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 no. Oh, well, if you'd seen the ads, you would think, oh, I'm going to see Indiana Jones with a female lead. Emily Blunt is absolutely brilliant. She is an English scientist named Lily Horton. She arrives on. She hires. Set in present day. No, no. Um, World War One, I, I think. Um, and, and it, what Sounding it's, very much like Indiana Jones. No, it's the African Queen is what it is. Oh, is it? And um, the Humphrey Bogart role is played by Dwayne Johnson, none other than The Rock, <laughs> another reason that I was put off. <laughs> but Emily Blunt, play, and she and her rather foppish brother, um, his name is McGregor, played by Jack Whitehall, who's really good in it. Paul Giamatti bobs up. You know our mate oh, yeah, I love him. Sideways, Jake. <laughs> yes. Jake lookalike. Jake, no, lookalike. Sorry, Jake. Probably not so much of a lookalike as... <laughs> We love him in billions, Jake. We do. As Paul gets older. But um, they're basically trying to find a certain tree. And I won't go into the mystery of it all because it's, you know, a bit silly. But um, there's there's a, um, a parent who was going to do all this fabulous work, a scientist. Anyway, Emily Blunt plays Lily, the scientist. It is – it's funny um, – it's, um, you know, Lily, Dr. Lily is sort of an eccentric adventurist. Um, there is a lot of rip-off scenes from the African Queen, you know, and she's a bit of a Catherine Hepburn as well as an Indiana Jones. Oh. It's a great, look, it's no a really good story. It is a light-hearted, non-thought-provoking, great piece of entertainment. It's on everywhere, including our favourite cinema, so I would recommend it. Okay, right. Well, I won't be going to see that, but lots of people Corey, will, so that's terrific. You know, can, I take Hattie eat... to it? can I take Hattie to it as a children's movie? Oh, maybe a little bit young. Okay. Um, I'm looking for a good one. If anybody has any good recommendations for a four-year-old who's highly sophisticated and favourite movie in the world is Paddington 2. As she says, Mopsy, it's better than the other one, Paddington <laughs> 1. She also doesn't like <laughs> – she's not a fan of Nicole Kidman. Oh, well, you know, seriously. Come on, Hattie. She's four. <laughs> No, offense. good taste. Um, you have a recipe. I have, and this is um, don't start. Don't say, my darling Cle- daughter Clementine. Well, it is from Clem. Hello, darling daughter Clementine. We She's going to up... have to come in and do some summer co- spring cooking. How about we do that? We might. Well, that's a yeah. great idea. Asparagus we'll get her, we'll, inspired. We'll get her in for spring. Well, this, this is a um, a vegio dish. She said she offered to cook dinner for me the other night, and and for me and Brendan. And she said, oh, "Just give me a theme. Just give me a couple of words." I, you know, I always say, "Look, we've got some chicken Marylands in the fridge." She goes, "Mum, just." Give me two words. I said, all right, TV dinner. So, you know, with the Olympics are on, what else do you want? So she whipped up three different sorts of pizza. Now, she does make pizza dough and she makes fabulous focaccia, but on this occasion, time was of the wing, of the essence, and um, on, on the I wing. I think you say on the wing. On the wing and of the essence. So she nicked down to the super duper, came home with some pizza bases. We do have a pizza stone. Too much, too much sugar in some of them. I hope you didn't have yeah, the sugared variety. It was a nice pizza base. This pizza, and it was a bit um, from the your Rockefeller cheese theme because um, it does have blue cheese. What she did was she made a base on the pizza of mozzarella, like buffalo mozzarella and shaved garlic. A little bit heavy on the garlic, but it was yummy. And that's a base. 
shaved mozzarella, um, buffalo mozzarella and garlic. Then she had separately roasted little cubes of pumpkin, which she put on top, along with um, rosemary, just rosemary leaves. She wanted um, sage, but um, we didn't have any in the garden, not enough in the garden. And sliced red onion, not pre-cooked. The, un- the, gar- uh, the pumpkin was pre-roasted. The onion was just thinly sliced. Um, so there's pumpkin, there's rosemary, there's red onion on top of the mo- buffalo mozzarella and garlic base and blue cheese crumbled. Yum. She crumbled the blue cheese later on in the recipe over <clears> the top and then at the very end added roasted pine nuts. Oh, how delicious is that? It was absolutely beautiful. There is a lot to be said about the homemade pizza, even if you don't have time to make your own base and you do buy one that's commercially available. Carol, remember I said to you a few months ago when I had my tummy issues, the doctor had said I have to have 30 vegetables a day. I find if, I, if, if it's one of those days when there's so many vegetables turning a bit, you know, tired in the fridge. Yep. Avoiding fur coats, I'm not going to that stage, but you know they're definitely in the bin if they have a fur coat. But just you think, what am I going to do with the zucchinis and the and you know the capsicum and all of that sort of stuff? Just stick it on top of a pizza base, maybe with a bit of cheese, maybe not. It is the perfect way to get your vegetable count up. Everybody, roasted, good for you. Watch the olive oil. That's a bit of a trick. But yep. how does uh, – one thing that – we when we buy a, a pizza from a, from a restaurant, we always ask for it to be extra crispy because we both like a, a crispy base. How do you get your base crispy in an oven when it's a pre-prepared pizza base? Because well, mine always go a bit soggy. On a nice hot pizza stone. Oh, that's what I have to get. Yeah, so, so we've got a pizza stone, which is, you know, in – Where does a, one buy that? Oh, look, any – Good kitchen shop, I'm sure, Corrie, any department store. I mean, they'd sell them at the essential ingredient. They'd sell them at Minimax. They'd sell them at House. They'd sell them anywhere, I'm sure. Okay. Maybe a hardware store. Maybe. I'm sure a hardware store. In fact, Bunnings has probably got them. Ours is looking a bit black and charcoal-y now, but I guess that's a sign of a good pizza base. So that's a recipe for the week, Clem's Pizza. Great. And thank you, Red Energy. BSF was brought to you by our friends there, powered by the Snowy Hydro and a a leader in renewable energy. Just call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. Corrie, you're grumpy. I'm grumpy, Caro. This is such a big topic. The word grumpy is probably, it sounds a bit frivolous for how I feel. It's Australia's vaccination rollout. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the details and which state or federal governments are are to blame, but this week Four Corners had another vaccination rollout. Brilliant, brilliant uh, show, uh, which was a follow-up to the one they had done in May, and the most depressing thing was how far backwards we are going. So we are now the second worst... It's not a race, Corrie. It's not a race. Well, you see, that's what I want to talk about. But we're the second lowest... OECD country in terms of vaccination rollout amongst our population. It is absolutely appalling. And so you mentioned it's not a race. And we go back to Scott Morrison's uh, comment of uh, a few months ago, which he has subsequently semi-apologised for and said he was taken out of context. To me, Caro, Scotty from Marketing got it wrong that day when he said it's not a race because you and I talked about it on this podcast after he said it. People I know, as soon as he said it, 
Australians were, what do you mean it's not a race? Now, at some point we became complacent, or certainly the federal government did, and it was maybe the warm days of spring, summer. Maybe we didn't think too much about autumn. Maybe we weren't really thinking about the Delta variant. But what happened? What happened that we all became complacent? And that even inadvertently or subliminally hearing the Prime Minister, the leader of your country, say it's not a race, well, tell the... 200-plus people in New South Wales each day who are being di- who, who are testing positive with COVID. Tell the hundreds of people who are in hospital at the moment in New South Wales. Tell the 80-something who are in intensive care in New South Wales that it's not a race. And tell the healthcare workers and the hospital system in Sydney, which apparently is having a, such a difficult time with this, as professional and hardworking and wonderful as they are, a lot of their teams are now testing positive or they've had family members, they have to quarantine. So the numbers are down in the healthcare, like the whole thing is just spiralling out of control. And just on a personal note, just quickly, when I had my shop, Caro, and you've got the QR code entry or, or, or if you don't have your phone, you write down your name. A number of people do forget. Guilty, guilty. I've walked into shops and forgotten to do it and gone back and done it. But the number of people who come into your shop and you say, just would you mind, you know, checking in? You get a filthy comment, a filthy look, rolling the eyes, slumping body language, slumping back to do it reluctantly. Why? Really? It's a a government imperative, but it's also my business that you're coming into. I should be allowed to ask without being bullied or harassed or... I'd be telling them to leave. I bought... Well, yes, well, you don't do that when you have a business, but (laughs) it is... um, Anyway, so Parliament resumes... Federal Parliament resumes this week, Caro, and I just hope that the opposition really really puts the uh, blowtorch under the government and we get some action soon. So that's my grumpy, so grumpy about that. I get it. Six quick questions. What's the best thing, Caroline Wilson, about the Tokyo Olympics nearing its final days? And what's the worst thing? The best thing is that it's only three years to the next Olympics because these Olympics have been held a year late. And as our friend Annie um, pointed out, why do people keep saying it's 2020 when it's really 2021? Well, they've actually officially called themselves the 2020 Olympics and that's what the records will show. But I, I just think I love the Olympics and I thought Gideon Haig on Offsiders on Sunday was a real curmudgeon when, you know, he's right about the bad weather conditions. He's right about COVID in Tokyo. He's right about the IOC and John. Coats, but nonetheless, we needed this. We needed to see people out and achieving. And the TV ratings, Caro, through the roof. Well, not surprising. Did you read about the little spat between Hamish and Abby and, you know, Abby not getting enough screen time and. Mediation and yeah, oh, there was. Really? I was in the oh, gossip kids, column in the Herald Sun. You're all the weekend. Hero, you're all heroes to us. They seem to be doing. They seem to be getting on much better now. I, I actually think the coverage has been fantastic. So that's the best thing. They're only three years to wait. The worst thing is that all these wonderful swimmers and you know and all the other medalists are not going to get. Um, Parades when they get home, and I love a ticker tape parade. And they're all in quarantine for two. They've weeks. got to go into quarantine well, for two weeks. Of course they weeks. do. I mean that makes sense. But oh, imagine if you'd why had. Why can't a... we have a ticker tape parade in Melbourne? Well, no, we can't have a grand final parade, so we can't have a ticker tape parade. No, that no, I think super that, spreader event. I think that's a bit sad because they have been absolutely wonderful, and not only the swimmers. I mean, some great athletic achievements as well, and and obviously as we speak, um, the basketballers are still in it, and oh look, it's just been you know um, that beautiful fox girl in in the kayak and the rowers, and a lot of water sports having success. It's been quite unbelievable, Corrie. What was the first thing you did 
after you closed the bookshop stores for the last time? I booked five yoga sessions. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Have you been to one yet? I've been to two. Oh. I've been to two. Uh, yes, that's what I did. The body needed it. So uh, that's what I did. I, I understand people when you come out of lockdown, <clears throat> and I'm, again, guilty of this. The first thing you do is you ring the hairdresser or the beautician. In my case, with that tired old bod, on Saturday afternoon, I went online and booked my yoga. Even before you poured a glass of wine? Even before I poured a glass of wine. I'm impressed. Um, Caro, has Scarlett Johansson taken unacceptable risk in suing Disney? I have no idea why you asked me to put the, what's well, the this. What's the backstory? I'm fascinated by this I story. I haven't read this story. What Her film, um, Black Widow, has been put sort of online onto a streaming service as well as into major Which is, cinemas. I think it's a crime novel, um, a crime story, isn't it? A, a thriller? Well, we don't a, know. It's is a thriller. It? Yeah. But um, the point is, she's saying that they've breached her contract by putting it onto the small or onto a streaming service at the same time it's hit the big cinemas and it's going to affect her deal and it's going to affect the movie's profits and it's going to affect its image, branding, whatever. I think she's absolutely within her rights to do this. They've breached her contract. They're saying that in these COVID times, she's been incredibly selfish and she could understand that profits need to be made in whatever way they can out of these big budget productions and that she will be reaping the profits anyway. Now, look, it's sort of an action adventure, by the way. It's sort of a... um, Almost from a cartoony sort of. Oh, because I, re- oh, I always said because I remembered that I'm sure there's a not. It's a Marvel a, comics thing, I think. kind of recent, um, you know, murder mystery, B grade murder mystery oh, book no. that's come out called Black Widow. Okay, I could be wrong. and you might. I mean, Black Dahlia comes to mind, but no, no, it's a it's a superhero sort of film. Um, I was reminded on radio this week that Peggy Lee sued Disney over a, another issue back in the day, and although she didn't win a huge amount of money or as much as she wanted, she also, she won. Oh, was that the character in, um, oh, what, you know, the, what, what's the movie with the two little dogs eating the one piece of pasta and then their lips kiss? What was that movie? That was a cartoon movie. Lady and the Tramp, thank you, Miss Jane. Gosh, you're good. You weren't even bored, Janie. Uh, but wasn't there a Peggy Lee character in that, a nightclub sexy vampy cat or something? Well, oh, she know. was involved in Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, maybe that was it. She was involved in Lady and the Tramp and she um, she spoke and sung for several characters oh, in that film. Okay. Well done. Yeah, well I, know, done. I, I don't know where I plucked that one from. That's just bizarre that I remember that. And But, but the, the lawsuit, um, anyway. Jane has her hand up. The only reason I knew that, Corrie, is because I went to the wonderful Disney exhibition, took Huey at Acme. Yes. So if you want to go and I see animation, incredible exhibition of, you know, the history of, of cartoons and animation, Acme, Melbourne. I loved Lady and the Tramp. I think um, he sang He's a Tramp, the Siamese Cat Song and Bella Notte. I'm, I've actually looked this up. But <laughs> I did. I mean, obviously. She's trying to pass it off as, oh, I remember this. But she, but she, um, she, what was she got? Oh, well, you would remember this, Pekingese Peg. Yeah, she was And a she Pekingese was a twin dog. Siamese cats. You're yeah. right. And I don't know whether she would, she would have liked the way she ended up on the screen, probably. It, well, no, it was, I think it was to do I don't, with And no offence to Pekingese. I think it was to do. Owners. I think it was to do with her singing. Peggy Guggenheim. 
Anyway, so no, go Scarlet, I say. Corrie, what are the three things you love most about August? Well, in the old days, Caro, I used to love August because you'd hit the road and go up to the snow fields and you'd have a good old ski because August is the best time for snow in Victoria. Those days are gone. So I woke up the other morning at 6.30 and it was lighter, just a little bit lighter, which so that's just one fills thing? you with joy. That's yes. one thing. Second, Daphne. Yes, mine She's are looking good. coming out. Mm, it's beautiful, isn't it? And the third thing are the oranges at the moment. So on the weekend, I bought a couple of blood oranges for a certain cocktail and they're just, uh, you know, I know we've, we do a lot of talking about lemons, but we do forget the good old orange. The navel oranges, they're all so beautiful at the moment. The price is really good. Parents, get a bag of oranges and squeeze the juice and stick it into your kids. It's the best way to keep the coughs and colds away. Um, I'm a huge fan of the orange, so they're perfect at the moment, everyone. That's my three things I love about August. You've got to be positive. Particularly um, shaved into a Negroni. <laughs> the, all, the skin, it, I mean, the it, zest. It always comes back to alcohol. No, well, not always. No, I've got blood oranges actually in my tiny little garden. And, um, Have I've you? Got, are yeah, they doing well this they're year? They're doing really much yeah, they, better. They, and my clementines are too. Well, there's something about oranges at the moment. I was talking to Bob yeah, at the, Bob at the fruit shop about this. Bob this said spring. it's one of the best years. I don't know why. Anyway, interesting. Um, Caro, do you care whether Melbourne gets the NRL grand final? I actually do, and I hope we do. Um, I suspect that it will go to Queensland now that um, Peter Volandis has done this deal. He did this deal on the, uh, the weekend just seen where there was COVID chaos in Queensland and um, they allowed, while well, the AFL left, ran away from COVID, Peter Volandis hung around. He had more games at stake, I think, and so many teams up there. He's negotiated to be able to play at Suncorp Stadium with no crowds. Um, maybe there was a grand final deal rolled into that. I don't know. But I reckon it would be a way of acknowledging Melbourne Storm and the wonderful work they have done in recent years. I know they were in the bad books quite some years ago now with the salary cap scandal. A great marketing scandal. addition to the game, Caro, Melbourne Storm. Oh, look, they are just a... Fabulous team, and I think Melbourne, Melbourne are the sporting capital. And at the moment, they have the be- they would have the best chance of getting a crowd because Queensland's in lockdown as well. So I would love it if we got the we're the home of sport. We need to get that crown well and truly back. I sense a little bit of interstate rivalry there, but no, we're not going there. We're just genuinely concerned about the grand final coming somewhere. Sydney, safe. Sydney is geographically far and away the most beautiful city in Australia, but Melbourne is the sporting capital. I mean, I'm sorry, but it is. And I would love us to get just once the NRL grand final. Corrie, which music track has been on repeat in your car lately? Well, the car and also the shop, the, the bookshop had a crackerjack sound system. So on my own at, at night over the last few weeks, I've had it blaring, but also in the car. Jane, would you like to just... Um oh, I'm going to tear up. Thompson Twins. Where did this come from? Well, I have a, I have a Spotify. I have many Spotify, many Spotify. Oh my God. You know, Corrie Sounds, Bookshop Sounds, Bookshop Summer, that sort of thing. This one originally is called 60s, 70s, 80s. Oh, gee. <laughs> but it's hey, I tell you what. Gamish. Oh, I tell you what, Cara, there's a lot of Blondie. There's a lot of UK Squeeze. There's a lot of Elvis Costello. And How there's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, the doors. It's a re- it's actually really I could make a lot of money if I went public with it if I was allowed to. Anyway, 
That's it. So thanks, Thompson Twins, for keeping me company. What's in... it called? Is it called Hold Me Now? Well, I'd call it that. Is that is that what it's called, Jane? Yeah, Jane's going to sing it at our next live event, everyone, so stay tuned. <laughs> Do you know what I cannot stop singing? And I blame Clem because she played it in my car the other day on her Spotify. Miley Cyrus, See You Again. Oh, Oh, we'll we'll play that one. We'll go out with that one next week, Jane. That is a great song. I think I think we should just have because there's nothing else to talk about. I think in the next week or two we should actually look at our favourite Spotify. If you, can, if you go into your Spotify thing and 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 look at like what have I been playing the most in recent times, you get all the analytics. It's quite interesting to see what you've been playing. Go those it's Thompson quite, twins. Um, thanks, Caro. Thank you, Miss Jane, of course, for the beautiful blossom and of and our dear friend Anna Corin down at Cape Merchants at Sorrento. Thanks for our candles. We'll all be doing OM and thinking of you tonight. And thank you, of course, to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and, of course, Prince Wine Store. And thanks, Miles, again for coming in. Everybody out there, please give us a rating with your uh, podcast um, on Apple. You can, if you press the five stars, That not only makes Carol and I feel really good about ourselves, but it helps other people to find the podcast. And, of course, you can send us any messages, love, brickbatsbouquet to our Instagram account, which is at Don't Shoot Pod, our Facebook page and Twitter. And if you want to get our show show notes delivered to your inbox each week, you just hit the sign up button on the Facebook page or, of course, there's one in our show notes as well. And email us anytime you like. Miss Jane's just waiting with bated breath every time the computer goes ping and into feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. That's our mailbox and Miss Jane is there ready to take your email. And Carol, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Especially Caroline Wilson. (laughs) This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806 and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. For all things home design, enjoy Homestar with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.